You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, looking forward to talking to you today. Hope we'll make it through. We're in Texas right now. In East Texas, we're getting some pretty nasty weather. We had our usual code red yesterday when a tornado was spotted in the area. Unfortunately, it didn't touch down anywhere. But uh, right now, we're under some pretty heavy rain with more coming for the next three days. So, you know, that's, that's East Texas weather. If you don't like it, just wait 10 minutes. It'll change. Usually not for the better. Uh, last year at this time, we were having ice storms. And this year, we're having the rain. So it's typical spring weather. I hope everybody else is, is doing better than we are at this point. But we're going to go forward with the show today and hope everything holds out. That uh, I don't get cut off, but if I do, and hopefully we'll be able to pick it right back up again. So just bear with me today. Uh, today's, a, actually the last couple of days have been kind of tough because of the fact that we lost somebody who I highly respected and admired, and that's Nancy Reagan. Uh, both her and her husband I knew. I was involved in Ronald Reagan's campaign on the state level, uh, ballot security in Louisiana in 1980, and I was also an advance man for Reagan when he came in <clears throat> to Louisiana to campaign. And so I got to talk to him, and then I was on his staff again in 1984. That, at that point, my ballot security program I'd drawn up went national. And I was working with people in other states on the Reagan campaign. And in the interim, I had uh, had an experience with Nancy Reagan. Uh, I was at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, because I was the former National Secretary of Young Americans for Freedom, and I was on the board of directors of the American Conservative Union. So I was always at CPAC, and uh, we had the president. He came every year that he was the president, he came every year to make a speech at CPAC. And it was the Reagan Presidential Banquet is what it boiled down to. And it was a very formal affair. And he always brought Nancy with him. Well, at one point I found myself being seated next to the First Lady at the head table. And I was in my 30s at that point. Needless to say, I was excited. I mean, here I am sitting next to the First Lady, because I'd met her husband on all oh, six or eight occasions prior to that time and spoken with him on occasion, but I had never talked to her. So here I am next to the First Lady, and I start trying to strike up a conversation with her about what it's like living in the White House and, and this sort of thing, and she would have none of that. She wanted to know about me. She wanted to know about my kids. She wanted to know about my background. She wanted to know all about my history and who I was. Somebody said earlier today when they were talking about Nancy Reagan that she could talk to somebody and make them feel like they were only two, the only two people in the room. And the only important person in the room was not her, but whoever she was talking to. And that's exactly the way I felt that night. She was a delightful lady. She was a certainly a lady in all the true sense of the word. 
unlike the so-called first lady we have in the White House now. Nancy Reagan was very special. And I know she was very special to her husband. She called him Ronnie. They were deeply in love. He was an extremely good president of the United States. And so that was an experience I had with Nancy Reagan. But that wasn't the only experience that my family had. There was another incident when the president was invited to give the address to the graduating class at LSU, which was my alma mater, and in Baton Rouge. And of course, that's where I lived at that time. And I was a scoutmaster of the biggest Boy Scout troop in Louisiana. And all four of my sons were in the troop. And my oldest boy, Sean, was an Eagle Scout. And we had turned our somewhere older scouts into fine color guards. And to this day, and I have been out of the troop now for over 15 years, but they still have the color guard that is very highly trained and performs all over the state of Louisiana. And so everybody in Baton Rouge knew about our color guard, knew about our parade unit, because we had our own drum and bugle corps. And we were always invited to bring some of our scouts to be things like ushers when Mike Foster was elected governor of Louisiana, he was Republican governor. We had our Eagle Scouts there acting as ushers for, for people at the inauguration, the swearing in and everything. So it wasn't a big surprise when I was invited to bring four of my Eagle Scouts to Reagan's speech at the graduation ceremony. And I had not seen the president for a couple of years. I was there in my, my scout leader's uniform, and I had my four boys there, including my oldest son, Sean, and we were just, we were standing in the crowd because we knew the president was going to be walking uh, through the passageway to get out to the field. And then we basically had been asked to help people find their seats because the Boy Scouts in Baton Rouge have always ushered at all the football games, so we knew our way around the stadium. And uh, the president comes walking by with his Secret Service. And he's basically waving at the crowd. He's not stopping to shake hands or do anything at that point. Until he spots me and my scouts. Don't know if he recognized me. Probably did. Or if he just recognized the uniforms. But he comes to a dead stop. And he walks over. And he shakes hands with me. And I introduced him to the boys. Including my oldest son, Sean. And the president thanked us for coming and uh, said how proud he was of have Eagle Scouts in attendance. And then he turned away for a moment, spoke to one of his Secret Service agents, and then he moved on. The Secret Service agent stayed for a moment and looked at my oldest son, Sean, and asked him if he would accompany him because he was going to be assigned to the First Lady, to Nancy Reagan. And he was going to, it was a hot day, it was May in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, my son was assigned to assist Ms. Reagan in case she needed water, a bottle of water or something like that. And uh, so he basically sat down on the steps next to where she was sitting. And she wanted to know all about him. And he got a chance to sit there and chat with the First Lady of the United States for 
several minutes before the speech took place, before her husband spoke, and she thanked him profusely thereafter, and it was one of the thrills of his life. Now, this is my son, Sean. He's the one who's a major in the United States Army, who's basically done six tours overseas since 9-11, and this is one of the proudest days of his life. And I'm telling you all this because that's who the Reagans were. That's the type of people they were. They were down-to-earth, high-class individuals who were very interested in the people around them and very interested in the American people. Ronald Reagan took care of us and took care of this country. He rebuilt our military. He took over the economy that was on the verge of collapse. Jimmy Carter had just about done us in. And he made a big difference. He straightened out the economy. He got people working again. He got the interest rates lower. He took down the Soviet Union and communism in Eastern Europe. And in, it's ironic right now that we have the Democrats in this country, many of them voting for a communist, Bernie Sanders. And don't be fooled by his label of Democratic Socialist. He is, in fact, a communist, always has been. When he got married, he took his wife to the Soviet Union for the honeymoon. He said nothing but praise for communism throughout his career. So that's where we are now compared to where we were when Ronald Reagan defeated the Soviet Union and ended the Cold War virtually single-handedly. So those, you know, are the Reagans. Ronald and Nancy Reagan. Two of the finest people I have ever had the honor to know. And two of America's greatest patriots. They're both gone now. And I'm going to miss them. I've missed the president since he's been gone. And now I'm going to miss Nancy. Because I used to love to hear about her and her continuing work with children, her continuing efforts to battle drugs and alcohol abuse by children, teenagers particularly, her work with the Reagan Library, all of the fine work that she did. She was a true lady, a true patriot, and a true American hero. And I'm going to miss her. And I just wanted to pay some tribute to her today. And before we go on and talk about other things like, well, let's talk about the election. What's happening. <clears throat> it's certainly been a phenomenon so far. We have a total outsider. Or at least he portrays himself as an outsider. Donald Trump. Who is poised to win the Republican nomination for president. And... The media and everything is making a big to-do about how the polls show he cannot defeat either Hillary or Bernie Sanders. Well, the polls have been discredited to the point where I don't even pay any attention to them anymore. Let's look at the polls that were done in the state of Michigan prior to the election last night, yesterday. 
won all the polls, were unanimous in showing Hillary Clinton with a big lead over Bernie Sanders. One poll taken just a week ago showed her with a 37-point lead over Sanders. That Sanders won. We've had polls showing Trump running behind Cruz, and Trump has won. By the same token, we've had polls showing Cruz running behind Trump, and Cruz has won. Now we're being told by the mainstream Republicans, these the elite Republicans, that the polls show that Trump cannot beat Hillary or Sanders. Sometimes we're talking about only a few percentage points where Hillary's supposed to be leading. Yet a poll in one state, Michigan, was off by 37 points. So I don't believe the polls. Now, that doesn't mean I'm for Donald Trump for president. As I've told you before on the show, as the executive director of a nonprofit corporation, the United States Justice Foundation, that makes us contributions to our organization uh, tax-deductible. So I cannot violate the 501c3 provisions that keep me from endorsing a candidate. Actually, I can endorse one of my own, but I can't endorse on behalf of the Justice Foundation. So I don't do either. I don't want the confusion to reign. Anyway, let's take our first break now. We'll talk some more in a few minutes. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. As I said before the break, I'm not endorsing any candidates, but I have my favorite. I've already voted in the Texas primary. But the thing that concerns me is the establishment Republicans, the elite of the Republican Party, who in a lot of ways are no better than the elite in the Democratic Party, 
they don't want either Donald Trump or Ted Cruz to be the nominee. And they are threatening to engineer what could be called a brokered convention. A brokered convention basically occurs when something happens like could possibly happen in this situation, and that is that Trump does not get enough delegates to win on the first ballot at the convention, which means he would have to lure other delegates to him, or after the first ballot, delegates would be entitled to change who they wanted to vote for. That's one type of brokered convention. That could happen. And it's important to know what the rules are going to be if that happens. Now, there has not been a convention where something like that has happened really since 1976. I was at that convention. I was there as an alternate delegate from Louisiana committed to Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was running for the Republican nomination against the incumbent, Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford went on to win the nomination and then lost to Jimmy Carter. And Bill Clinton, or no, Jimmy Carter, lost to Jimmy Carter, who was beaten four years later by Reagan. But we came because at that, at that time it was very difficult to determine uh, because there were fewer primaries and this sort of thing, how the delegates were stacking up. Delegates were pretty much a lot of them free to vote as they saw fit. Excuse me, we just had some thunder. Hope I haven't lost y'all. But uh, delegates were able to vote as they saw fit. So we were out working very hard to change the minds of other delegates. Now, there's been some talk recently on the news about that was a brokered convention and that Ronald Reagan had come very close to winning the nomination. And they, they keep throwing out this figure of 117 votes was all that he lost by. I was there. I was part of the process. We came a lot closer than that. That was the final tally. Because some people that, that uh, were going to vote for Reagan, if he had been assured of winning, turned around and did not vote for Reagan when the final tally was made because they wanted to be on the winning side. So it wasn't 117. We were within nine votes of winning the nomination for Ronald Reagan in 1976. That would have made an interesting difference. In the timeline, we would not have had Jimmy Carter. We would not have had hostages, American hostages held in Iran for 344 days. We would have had an earlier situation where we would have had a great president of the United States. Now, the type of brokered convention they're talking about here, though, is not just in a situation where Trump or anybody else doesn't have the outright delegates to win outright. What they're talking about is changing the rules, which four years ago the Republican National Committee did change the rules 
when Romney was being nominated. Now, this wasn't because Romney didn't have the votes. He did have the votes, but they didn't want people casting their votes, even though they were there committed to, to someone like Ron Paul. They didn't want people casting their votes on television for anybody other than Romney. So they basically didn't allow any votes to be cast for anybody but Romney. But it's had some kind of threshold. You had to have 20% of the votes in order to be for your delegates to be recognized and cast their ballots. People were infuriated, and I don't blame them. Now they're talking about doing something even worse with this convention. They're talking about setting up rules so that basically neither Donald Trump or Ted Cruz can win the nomination, even if all of their ballots, all of their supporters, all of the delegates pledged to them are put together somehow, and they coalesce behind one of the two candidates. The Republican establishment wants to set it up so that they can bring in another candidate, possibly Mitt Romney again. Now, Mitt Romney, when he started his campaign for president after he was elected or nominated, he should have won. Now, you've been hearing Ted Cruz say this. You've been hearing uh, particularly Donald Trump say this, that he was a terrible candidate. Well, that's true. I mean, he, he just he won the first debate, just destroyed Obama, and then sort of sat back and like he had it all locked up at that point. And he didn't really work at it. He was not a strong candidate, yet he was an establishment candidate. And the Republican establishment wants to put up candidates who will do their bidding, who are the middle of the road or slightly liberal. They don't want a strong conservative. Now, there's a lot of question as to, is Donald Trump a strong conservative? I don't know. I frankly don't know. I know that he talks a good game on certain subjects. I also know that at one point he was on the other side in certain areas, like abortion. But then so was Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was a liberal Democrat when he was a Hollywood actor. He was in charge of the Screen Actors Guild, the major union in Hollywood. And then he saw the light. And by the time he ran for governor of California... <clears throat> have become a strong conservative. So it's certainly possible for people to turn around. I don't know whether that's what Trump is doing or not. But the fact of the matter is, he is not going to bend to the will of the Republican establishment. He is, in fact, using his own money to finance his campaign, which means he is not beholden to anybody out there. But if the Republican establishment tinkers with the rules and puts up another establishment candidate, that candidate will probably lose to Hillary Clinton. McCain was the establishment candidate. We had staunch conservatives like Newt Gingrich running from the nomination. They lost. The establishment candidate was named 
and he lost to Barack Obama. Four years later, we put up Mitt Romney, another establishment candidate, even though there were, again, some staunch conservatives like Rick Santorum and Mike Huckabee running in that campaign. The establishment won. They put up Mitt Romney, and the Republicans lost the White House again. Now, since 2008, there's been a revolt, a grassroots revolt against the establishment Republicans. That revolt resulted in some solid conservatives being elected to the House of Representatives and Republicans taking control of the House of Representatives. The same thing happened 2014 when Republicans took control of the United States Senate. We got some solid conservatives in there. We got people like Ted Cruz in there. But the establishment is still in control. Mitch McConnell is establishment. Paul Ryan has become more of an establishment, Republican. And they are the ones that are running the Republican Party, and they are the ones that have overseen a lackadaisical attempt by a Republican-controlled Congress to stop the runaway train that is Barack Obama. Mitch McConnell continues to allow this idiotic cloture rule to be in effect, which essentially requires 60 votes to bring anything to the Senate floor to be voted on, any legislation. That's not the way the Constitution is set up. The Constitution is set up so that there are two senators from each state, and a majority of those senators are supposed to be able to pass legislation. Yet with this cloture rule, Democrats can block everything and have been doing it. They've been doing it for years. And there's a lot of talk about the Supreme Court and, oh, how dare the Republicans say that they're not going to even allow a vote on whoever Obama tries to appoint to the Supreme Court. Well, the Democrats have been doing that for years. When they controlled the United States Senate, which they did from towards the end of George Bush's term, George Bush couldn't get any judges appointed to the federal judiciary. Anybody he nominated was blocked by the Democrats in the Senate, particularly Harry Reid. Basically, during his tenure under Obama, as the head of the United States Senate, Harry Reid refused to allow anything to be brought to a vote in the United States Senate. Anything opposing Obama, anything passed by the House, they just he just didn't allow it to come to a vote. Now, this is basically Mitch McConnell's playing the same type of game. As I said on this program last week, the Republican establishment doesn't seem to get it. The Donald Trump phenomenon, the strong support for Ted Cruz, those have arisen because the Republican establishment brought it on themselves. 
people are tired of having their votes not count. They elect a Republican, they elect somebody who's supposed to be a conservative, and then that person gets to the Senate or gets to the House, and all they want to do is make sure they get reelected next time. Let's take our second break. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. I'm Marita News, and I would like to invite you to listen live or download my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to America's Webradio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. As I was saying, the establishment just doesn't seem to get it. Or they don't want to get it. They don't realize that they have a revolt on their hands. And it's a revolt that is dead serious. People are fed up with the leadership of the Republican Party betraying the vast majority of Republicans. Look at what ha- what's happening. Evangelicals, a lot of who don't vote at all anymore, are flocking to Donald Trump. What Donald Trump's not getting, Ted Cruz is getting. We have the so-called Reagan Democrats. Because let's face it, when Ronald Reagan was elected president, a lot of people out there, a lot of blue-collar workers, union members, they saw what the Democrats were doing in their country. They saw what Jimmy Carter had done in his four years as president. How much damage he'd done to the economy, to wages, to the middle class. They didn't want any more of it. They liked what Ronald Reagan said, so they flocked his candidacy. I mean, he, you know, Ronald Reagan, let's face it, they talk about the polls and Trump's being, you know, a few points behind Hillary Clinton, or maybe in some cases double ditches behind Hillary Clinton. When Ronald Reagan was nominated to run against Jimmy Carter in 1980, he 
polls showed him to be behind by 27 percentage points. He ended up winning pretty overwhelmingly. It was not really that close when you look at the results. And then four years later, when Walter Mondale ran against him, Mondale carried one state. Ronald Reagan won all the other states. Because he brought the message to the American people that they wanted to hear. They do not want a repeat of the debacle of four years ago. But by the same token, they don't want just anybody elected president of the United States. They want it to be a solid conservative Republican. Someone who will do what he says he's going to do. And that's not what we've been getting. Not out of newly elected senators or newly elected House members. Some of them have been solid, yeah. But a lot of them have just gotten to Washington and become part of the Potomac fever and just sit there and do nothing to try to figure out how they're going to keep their jobs. I've talked before on this show about the importance of the Supreme Court. Now, the Supreme Court is not as powerful as you might think, at least not as supposed to be under the Constitution. The Supreme Court is basically supposed to make decisions and can determine the constitutionality of things, but it has not become the law of the land. But that's the way it's perceived. So the Supreme Court has become infinitely more important in the balance of powers and in the scheme of things than it was originally designed to be under the Constitution. It was supposed to be one of three branches of government. It was supposed to have certain powers that the other two branches did not have. It was supposed to be helpful in keeping the other two branches in check. The primary of the Supreme Court of the United States was created to interpret federal law, to handle cases between states or between individuals from different states under federal law. And that was pretty much it. But now we have a Supreme Court that when they make a decision, it basically stops any dissent in its tracks. I mean, look at, look at what's happened in the abortion cases over the years and in the gay marriage case. Both of those initial decisions were made by justices that decided to ignore the Constitution, to ignore their oath of the office to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, and to push forward their own agenda by finding constitutional rights in areas that are not even mentioned in the Constitution, particularly abortion and gay marriage. Nothing about either of those in the Constitution. If they suddenly found that there were constitutional rights to abortion and constitutional rights to gay marriage, and they have consistently over the years punished anybody who tried to disagree with those laws, 
any states that pass their own laws disagreeing with those laws. Now, yeah, we, we won some minor victories in Casey versus Pennsylvania uh, years ago. I wrote a, a brief for the United States Justice Foundation because back then I was a consultant. I wasn't the executive director. And I wrote a brief for them for the United States Supreme Court, and it was submitted to the court. And we won on several points. And uh, it involved regulation of abortion clinics. It didn't stop abortions, but it, it made the clinics at least safer for the women who were getting abortions. And the Supreme Court actually quoted from my brief. And I, I've got to do a little bragging here because last week, I don't know if this has happened last week before the show or not, I don't know if I mentioned it, but Clarence Thomas, who is one of the few true conservatives left on the court after we lost, we lost Justice Scalia, Clarence Thomas... He's become famous for his silence during oral argument before the Supreme Court. In 10 years, he has never asked a question or made a comment during oral argument. All the other justices do. Some of them are quite verbose about asking questions and this sort of thing. Clarence Thomas doesn't do that until last week. But he absolutely stunned everybody in the courtroom, including his fellow justices, when he asked a question in a case involving gun control. Now, that question that he asked came directly from a brief that my name is on. I didn't write the brief. I reviewed the brief. But attorneys for the United States Justice Foundation wrote the brief on behalf of the U.S. Justice Foundation, Gun Owners of America, and about five or six other conservative organizations. And Thomas thought highly enough of what we said to use that as a basis for a question. So we're very proud of that fact. And recently in the Mississippi State Supreme Court, one of our briefs was quoted in a, a case there. So that's to tell you that we are out there fighting for the Constitution. And if you want to support the United States Justice Foundation, you can go to usjf.net. And by the way, you can read most of the more recent briefs we filed. We filed about a dozen in the last couple of months in both the Supreme Court and uh, Federal Courts of Appeal, and we're, we're winning. We're winning on cases like the Amnesty case. We filed a brief in support of the state of Texas and the other 25 states who were suing Obama to get his amnesty declaration for millions of illegals here in this country, to get it thrown out as being unconstitutional. Because the fact of the matter is, the President of the United States has no authority on immigration at all under the Constitution. Article 1 of the Constitution specifically talks about the authority of the President of the United States to, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm saying Article 1, it's, it's the entire Article 1, but it talks about the fact that Congress has sole authority over issues of naturalization and immigration. 
Article 2, which sets up the, the powers of the executive branch, the president, never mentions immigration or naturalization. So it's clear that it is up to the Congress to pass laws regarding immigration. Article 2 requires that the president enforce the laws passed by Congress. It does not say he can change the laws or he can decide which ones to enforce and which ones not to. Obama has decided not to enforce the immigration laws and has rewritten the laws entirely. He ran amnesty. So we have this lawsuit that's going on, and it was successful in district court in Texas. The judge threw out the amnesty of Obama as unconstitutional. It went to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, based out of New Orleans, was heard twice by the court. Both times the court upheld the decision of the lower court and said it was unconstitutional. We filed briefs in the Fifth Circuit, the United States Justice Foundation and other organizations, and we are currently preparing our brief to the United States Supreme Court because the case is now in front of the Supreme Court. Now, here's what's precarious about that. Without Justice Scalia, the court is evenly divided between Democratic presidential appointments and Republican presidential appointments. It's four to four. If that divide holds up and a vote on the amnesty suit is tied at four to four, the law requires that the Court of Appeals decision then will be final. And we will have won. It won't be as broad a win as we hope we'd hope to get the Supreme Court, but we will have won. On the other hand, if Anthony Kennedy or John Roberts breaks with the conservative group of judges, and Anthony Kennedy has done so several times in the past year, and John Roberts did so just the other day when he refused to grant an order stopping the EPA from enforcing new regulations on the energy utility companies, the energy providing utility companies in this this country. Even after a five to four decision by the Supreme Court that said that what they were doing was unconstitutional, that the executive orders that Obama had issued to get them to regulate the industry, energy industry further, was unconstitutional. Despite all of that, Roberts refused to stop them. So we don't know how it's going to come out. But that makes our briefs even more important. And that's why we're working so hard on them and on briefs and other other cases. And we're looking at the cases coming to the Supreme Court involving gun control. We were successful in Maryland in getting the uh, law against private ownership of assault weapons thrown out. That case will be coming up. So we got a lot happening, and I'll talk more about it after our final break. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. 
USJF, a non-profit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. I'm talking about the Supreme Court today and the work we're doing in the Supreme Court and lower federal courts. And when I say we, about the United States Justice Foundation, uh, I'm talking about it for two reasons. Number one, our work is extremely important. We've been doing this for 37 years now. We have filed numerous briefs. We have had many successful cases. We have been defending the Constitution. And we're not alone. We have other organizations that join with us when we file briefs or ask us to join with them. So we're, we're presenting the United Front. But we're running into money. We've got a lot of cases going right now on a local level involving helping veterans with Second Amendment issues and other issues involving the VA. Reports come in to me in the last 24 hours that the VA is basically ignoring veterans who are trying to sign up for the VA to get the basic care that they need and deserve and are entitled to under the law. Their applications are just being tossed aside. They're not even being processed. The VA was supposed to fix several years ago, remember? It hadn't been fixed. Things are getting worse. We're about to get nailed with more gun control edicts going after not only veterans and their Second Amendment rights, but Social Security recipients and their Second Amendment rights, and going after virtually everybody who might have some connection with the federal government, students with federally secured student loans, can now see their Second Amendment rights being taken away. All of this is happening out there. If we lose the Supreme Court, it doesn't matter 
the election in 2020. It doesn't matter if a Republican is put in the White House. It doesn't matter if a Republican control both houses of the Congress. We will have had so many bad Supreme Court decisions. Constitutional rights will have been destroyed. Because understand this, whoever was elected president in 2016, this year, is going to be able to appoint one and up to four Supreme Court justices. Can you imagine the kind of justices that will be appointed by Hillary Clinton? They will all be pro-abortion, anti-Second Amendment, anti-First Amendment, anti-U.S. Constitution, anti-military, anti-veterans, you name it. That's what we're going to get. So I'm asking my listeners today, and please, contact your friends about it. Get them to listen to this show. Get them to read my blog. And let's pay attention to what's going on out there. Get your friends and relatives, and please do this yourself. Contact your members, your United States Senators. If they are Republicans, excuse me, and tell them not to vote for anybody nominated by Barack Obama to the U.S. Supreme Court. The vote should be left to the new Congress coming in. Now, Obama's going to try to, and the national news media, we're going to try to shame the Democrats, the Republicans, into voting for the person. I don't think they'll have a vote at all. But if they feel compelled to have a vote and to have hearings before the Judiciary Committee, then the Judiciary Committee needs to just vote down the person after a fair hearing, the person that Obama nominates. Because let's face it, that person he nominates will probably look good at first glance. But we've had a number of Supreme Court justices who have been approved overwhelmingly by the United States Senate, even the conservatives in the Senate, who have looked like they were conservatives or at least moderates, and then get on the federal courts or the Supreme Court and turn far left. So, number one, we have to keep the Senate from approving anybody Obama nominates. Number two, we have to maintain control of the Senate in the elections in November. Number three, we have to elect a president of the United States who will appoint conservative Supreme Court justices. If any of those things go wrong, if any of them don't happen, then we basically can kiss our Constitution goodbye and kiss our, kiss our Constitutional Republic goodbye. That's why it's so important for you to support the United States Justice Foundation. We're getting the word out. I'm putting the information out on my blog. People are buying my booklet, Our Constitution, where I take each section, each amendment of the Constitution and put them down the way they were originally written and then put down what they really mean with my kind, my comment section. And people are buying this to give out to students. They're buying it just to carry around themselves. Uh, it's an important document. Uh, has become an important document, people who are fighting for the Constitution. 
We need more people to go to usjf.net and donate, even if it's 5 or $10. We don't get a million dollars a year out of the head of progressive insurance like the ACLU does. Most of our contributions, I mean, we get a few contributions from people that are over $5,000, and we need more of those, believe me. But the bulk of our money comes from people who donate some of them on a monthly basis, some of them just when they can. But that's what keeps us going. We have a small staff. Most of our money goes not to pay people to schedule radio shows for me and that sort of thing. I do most of that on my own anymore. We put our money where our mouth is. We put our money into paying to file briefs, paying to represent people who are having their constitutional rights taken away. This includes the veterans. We do all of that with the money that we raise. We don't charge our clients anything. None of the veterans we represent will ever get a bill from us, nor will their families. We're out there trying to do what is right for America. So the Republican Party has to do what is right for America. And that is to allow the American people to choose a president of the United States who will, in fact, defend our traditional values. Choose somebody like Ronald Reagan. There's nobody out there right now that comes close to Ronald Reagan. But we have some decent Republican candidates. Anybody who's running as a Republican, is far superior to Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders. And it may be that neither one of them are the nominees. Hillary could be thrown under the bus by Barack Obama, who desperately wants a third term, whether he gets it by controlling the person who's elected or he gets it by declaring martial law if there's a chaotic election. He wants a third term. And if Hillary Clinton doesn't seem to be in a position to win that for Obama, he will throw her under the bus. He will let her be indicted, which she certainly deserves to be. And he'll put in Joe Biden or somebody else of that ilk. So this is a every you know, every four years you hear the pundits say. This is the most important election in American history. Well, this time it's true. This time is one that we have to win. Or we have to get ready to defend our freedoms in whatever way we have to. Because they're going to take them away. We're about to see more Obama gun control. Executive orders come down the pike. We're about to see more Orders, doing things like continuing the destruction of the coal industry, destruction of the energy industry. He's already basically sold us out to our enemies like Iran and Russia. We have no foreign policy anymore. Well, actually, that is our foreign policy, to have no foreign policy, to have no influence. That's Obama's legacy. We've got influence in the world anymore at all. Enemies are not of us. 
Americans will trust us. So go to USJF.net and see what we're doing. Also go to my blog at Michael Connolly, C-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y dot J-Z-J-I-G-S-Y dot com. Read my articles that I post on my blog. Send it out to other people. Get other people to to take a look at it and get the articles out to their friends. You can also, when you go to my blog, see the books I've written. And if you'd like to order some of those, one like the Mortimer about my father's year during World War II, they become extremely popular. You can order an autographed copy through me, through my website, or you can go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble. You can get it as a paperback or as an e-book. My other books are also on the website, including my patriotic novel, Armageddon, A Story of America, which has also become very popular, and particularly as an e-book. And I'm working on another novel right now, which I have come out later on this summer. So anyway, thank you for having me on today or listening to me uh, in an archive show. Uh, keep listening. Uh, please support the United States Justice Foundation, America's Web Radio. Talk to you again next week. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.